Welcome to our Didache Divine Service. We are in Lesson 10 tonight, which is the uh, first of three on the third article of the Creed. We will begin with prayer and then get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O King of glory, Lord of hosts, uplifted in triumph far above all heavens, leave us not without consolation, but send us the Spirit of truth, whom you promised from the Father. For you live and reign with him and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And if you'll turn right away in Lutheran Catechesis to page 137, I want you to take a look at the third article of the Creed from the Apostles' Creed and also the Catechism's explanation. Because this will serve as a general introduction for the next three sessions. Uh, we have one next week and then we take a bit of a Christmas break and then we will actually read the account of Pentecost and study that uh, in the new year. But I'll ask you the questions and then I invite you to respond. What is the third article of the Creed? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I'd like you to notice a couple of things by contrast between the third article and the first and second articles of the Creed. In the first article, it's very concrete. After we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, then we talk about him as the maker of the heavens and the earth. Right? So I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It seems to hold so tightly together. You know, God the Father made the heavens and the earth. Concrete. Second article, and in Jesus Christ, so the verb is taken from the first article, I believe in God the Father, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And then again, we've got very concrete things, right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. All of those things you can clearly see are connected to the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. The third article is actually no less concrete, no less connected to the person of the Holy Spirit in the parts of the article that are articulated there, but they may be less easy to immediately grasp. So some people might think that the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting are sort of the leftovers because we couldn't think of anything to say as a church about the Holy Spirit, so we tossed in those things to sort of round out the article. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, is the one who creates the Holy Christian Church, which is the congregation of all believers in Christ, among whom the gospel is preached, and the sacraments are administered, the Holy Spirit calls people through the word to repentance 
and faith in Christ. Okay? So no wonder we call the church the holy Christian church because it is the Holy Spirit that creates the church, that creates believers in Christ, a congregation, an assembly of believers. So when we gather together tonight or on Sunday morning, this is the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit not only called us to faith, but since we're called to faith, we're called to congregate together to hear the Lord's word to receive his life-giving sacraments. Holy Christian Church. The congregation of believers in Christ. Faith comes by the Holy Spirit. The congregation of believers among whom the gospel is preached and the sacraments of Jesus are administered. The communion of saints is the next phrase. Communion means fellowship. Fellowship. Saints are not saints by their own merit or strength, but they are, you know, Caleb, this would be good. You're, you're so tall. Rachel behind you keeps doing like this. Can you move a little bit over towards your mom, a little bit even further? And then, Becca, you move just a little bit that way, and then a little bit more, Caleb, and then everybody, yeah, just, there you go, perfect. Because you can see then, right? Yeah, good, thanks. I keep, <laughs> I keep moving and you keep moving. All right, this is great for the tape, uh, for the recording. <clears throat> Communion means fellowship. Saints are not saints in their own right in terms of because of what they have done. Saints are forgiven sinners. So if I ever call you a saint, it's because I want you to understand your identity as baptized Christians, that you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So the communion of saints is that fellowship that we share together as forgiven sinners. And what we share together is the Lord Jesus' forgiveness. It's what, it's what binds us together. It's what enables us to live together as Christians. Even as the Lord's Prayer would say, forgive us our trespasses. The us there is every person within the body of Christ. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The communion or the fellowship of forgiven sinners. It's called a communion, a fellowship, because we share in it completely and together. In the third article of the Creed, that phrase, communion of saints, should bring to your thinking the holy communion. Because here at the altar, we are sharing together in the body and blood of Christ yoked together in the common confession of faith in Jesus and sharing through his body and blood the Lord's forgiveness and everything that Jesus did for us upon the cross. Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, this is all the Spirit's work. So what do you see? You know, if you lived in 33 A.D., 
when Jesus finished his ministry and was crucified, I mean, and then risen from the dead, you would see him preaching. And then he was arrested, you would see him get crucified, and then you would see him on the third day rise from the dead. That's what you see. God the Father Almighty created the heavens and the earth. We go outside tonight, but it's not clear, so we can't see the stars. But if we went outside during the daytime or at the night and the clear, everything, we can see the creation. So also with the Holy Spirit. When you come into the church and you hear the gospel being preached, you hear the word of God being read, you hear the holy sacrament, or you see the holy sacraments being administered, the water of baptism, the bread and wine of the supper, by which in baptism the Holy Spirit pours forth upon us, clothing us with the righteousness of Christ, and in the holy supper the bread and wine are the very body and blood of Jesus. This is the Spirit's work. This is what we see. We hear and see the preaching and teaching and the administration of the sacraments. Okay? So the Spirit has his own visible, tangible things, just like God the Father in the first article and God the Son in the second article. So the work of creating the Holy Christian Church and the communion of saints through preached and taught word and sacraments administered, that's the Spirit's work. And by those things, he's always shining upon Christ. So in the water of baptism, it is the blood of Jesus which pours over us for our forgiveness and unites us to Christ. That is by the Spirit's power. So also the Lord's body and blood, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, is given to us by the Holy Spirit through the word of Christ. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. So therefore, the Holy Spirit loves us through these gifts, through this preaching, through holy baptism. The Holy Spirit loves us by uniting us with Christ. In holy absolution, when we are troubled by our sins and our conscience is plagued, the Holy Spirit loves us by comforting us with Jesus' forgiveness. When we gather at the altar and we kneel, hungering and thirsting for Christ's body and blood, for the forgiveness, life, and salvation, and the strengthening of faith that it gives, and out of this faith, the fruit of love toward one another, even our enemies, this is how the Holy Spirit is loving us. He is the spirit of love who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So, when your pastor preaches, when your pastor baptizes, when your pastor absolves, when your pastor gives you the Lord's body and blood, the Holy Spirit is loving you through those gifts. The result of that is what then you have in the next part of the third article. Notice right in the center 
is the forgiveness of sins. That's what's conveyed through word and sacrament in the Holy Christian Church. It's what we share together in the communion of saints, the fellowship of forgiven sinners. And the result of that forgiveness, it's the forgiveness that Jesus earned for us in his death upon the cross. The result of it is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Because the cause of the death of the body and condemnation is sin, therefore the cause of resurrection and eternal life is the forgiveness of sins. So all of this is the Spirit's work. Let me say it in a completely different way, but it says the same thing. The Holy Spirit's work is to bring Christ to us. And the Holy Spirit is not an egomaniac. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Rather, the Spirit's work is that we look at Jesus, that we see him, that we are comforted and strengthened by his forgiveness. That's the Spirit's work. Now, this is an introduction to... Um, the rest of the third article of the Creed, and we'll go through that now, and then our reading for tonight from John chapter 13 especially. But let's go on then to the meaning of the third article from the Catechism, and <clears throat> I hope you will see these themes that I have just highlighted for you in this introduction. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. Stop just for a moment. The Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. That's the, the preaching of the good news of Jesus. Enlighten me with his gifts. The term gifts there refers to the sacraments, the holy sacraments. So the Holy Spirit enlightens us through the gifts of holy baptism, holy absolution, holy communion. I use the terminology there, holy, for all of those to remind you that these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They bring enlightenment. Holy absolution brings the enlightenment of Christ's forgiveness to a troubled conscience. Holy communion gives enlightenment. Holy baptism gives enlightenment. Okay? So, called me to faith in Christ by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified means to be kept holy uh, in the true faith. And then what he does for us, he does for every Christian. So let's continue. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. So in this Christian church, the Holy Spirit daily and richly forgives all my sins 
and the sins of all believers. How? Through the preached word and the gifts of the holy sacraments. That's how he does it. In Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit was at work, not just on the day of Pentecost. I think this point needs to be emphasized because I think many think that God the Father created, then he went on a holiday for eons. The Son of God, our Savior, redeemed, then he ascended into heaven far away, and then the Holy Spirit took over as if the Holy Spirit has been waiting from the time of creation through the crucifixion of our Lord until the day of Pentecost. Then finally, he started to do his work. That's totally the wrong way to think of it. In the first place, God the Father's creative work continues as he sustains the creation and so forth. And the redeeming work of Christ reaches both backward and forward in history. And anytime the Spirit is at work, Christ is being proclaimed even in Jesus' ministry. From the prophet Isaiah, we hear the words that apply to Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So the Spirit of his Father, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, is upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to the poor in spirit, to the broken in heart. So any time that Jesus taught, the Spirit was at work. Any time that Jesus preached, the Holy Spirit was at work. Because faith comes by hearing, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So every one of those people who came to faith in Jesus in his three-year ministry came to faith by the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work through Jesus' word. Okay? When Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, the Holy Spirit was at work. Okay? So what the church does today is continues that which Jesus did, and just as the Holy Spirit worked through Jesus' preaching, so the Holy Spirit works through the preaching and teaching and the sacraments in the church today. Does that make sense? Okay. And, of course, the result is, on the last day he will raise me and all the dead and give to me and all believers in Christ eternal life. This is most certainly true. And if you go to, <clears throat> before we turn to our John 13 reading, did you see the picture for this lesson? Number 10, it had the sower and the seed. Now, the sower is who in the icon picture? Jesus is the sower, and the seed that he is sowing is what? The word of God. The word of God, the gospel of Christ, I mean, that's what he is sowing. The field is this world, and when the seed sprouts and grows, that's believers and Christians. Why should it be a picture associated with the Holy Spirit then? If you think about what I just said in this introduction, you can answer that. Why choose this icon, this story of the sower and the seed for the Holy Spirit? Cherie? Because the Holy Spirit is always with the Word of God. 
and at work through the word. To do what? To call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify. Yeah, I can't believe, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, including through Jesus preaching. Okay? Whether it's Jesus preaching or me preaching, it's the same word. It's the same gospel. And it's the same Holy Spirit who is at work through the word to call to faith. Okay? So that's, that's why the lesson is chosen. So we always link the Holy Spirit's ministry and work with the word. And, and that's true also with the sacraments. When we get to an intensive study on baptism, how can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things. Or how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Certainly not just eating and drinking, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words, along with the bodily eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. You know, um, Do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Yes, I do, because Jesus said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. You see, so it is the word that is common to the sacraments, and the Holy Spirit works through the word. Amy. So therefore, because Jesus is the word, the Holy Spirit is always proclaiming Jesus. Yes. Since Jesus is the word made flesh, since Jesus is the content of the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is always proclaiming Christ. Which is, uh, you're already anticipating these, these two weeks, and then leading into the third, where Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take up what is mine, and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit, if, he, if it's any spirit who does not proclaim Christ is not the Holy Spirit. It is an anti-Christ spirit. Okay? So the Holy Spirit will never take our eyes off of Jesus. Never. That makes it easy. And it's a litmus test. Okay? So there's a kind of subtlety here, isn't it? You know, in, in a way that you don't have with, you see the Son of God nailed to a cross, that's not very subtle, I guess, is it? It's pretty, it's pretty bold, it's pretty concrete. But this is bold and concrete too. The preaching and the teaching of the gospel by flesh and blood men who stand in Christ's stead to love you with Christ's word of mercy. Okay. So that's how the Holy Spirit becomes visible. Whereas he is otherwise hidden, but no less real, under the preached word and sacraments. Okay? So the holy ministry of love, what we're going to be talking about is the ministry of the Spirit. Here, as we go into John chapter 13, <clears throat> this is Holy Thursday night. Maundy Thursday is Holy Week. It's the night that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Out of the Passover meal, he then instituted the Lord's Supper, which would endure for all of time, his body and blood. After supper, he washed the disciples' feet, which we'll hear about here. And then he taught them extensively about the Holy Spirit. Because then he would go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, be arrested, the next day flogged, nailed to the cross, he would die for our sins. So this is the beginning of his final catechesis, and it's on the Holy Spirit especially, before he is uh, crucified. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now there's a lot packed in this verse. What is he referring to by his hour? It's the feast of the Passover. He knew that his hour had come. What's that talking about? His death, his crucifixion. That he should depart from this world to the Father. So notice, in his crucifixion, he is going to the Father. Remember that concept. We'll develop it as the weeks unfold. But his going to the in his crucifixion, he is going to the Father. Hmm. How? With what? Well, with his own blood. But just hold that thought. So he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. <clears throat> the end there means to completion, to fulfillment. He loved them to the end. What does the end then refer to? That he loved them to love's completion. He loved them to love's fulfillment. What does it mean? He loved them to the end. He loved them to love's... I'm trying to give you a hint. He loved them to the end, to love's completion. What is it talking about? His death, the cross. I was fearful I was going to have to crawl up on top of the rear altar for you to get the point. Yeah, he loved them to the end. Okay? So, Kevin, when you meet the woman of your dreams and you lay down your life in love for her, that would be loving her to the end. Okay? To the point of expending your very lifeblood so that she would live. Okay? Same thing here. So, his hour had come for him to die. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, I just said that his going to the Father has to do with the cross, because that's what he said. He's going to the Father. So in his death, he's not only loving us to the end, but he's going to the Father because he's the sacrifice made for sin in love for the Father and for us. Okay, Jesus, in his work, becomes both the priest who offers the sacrifice and he becomes the offering itself as he willingly lays down his life in death. Okay? So there's a lot in there, isn't there? And it's associated with the Passover because remember, in the Old Testament, the blood of the Passover is what sprung their freedom and release from bondage because that blood pointed to the blood of Christ, the true Passover, who would spring our release from bondage to sin. Verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God. You see that action? Jesus had come from God to do what? To die. And having come from God to die, he was going to God in his death as the offering for sin. 
Do you remember in the Passion, according to St. John, on the crucifixion, as Jesus is on the cross, what did he say at the end? It is finished. It is complete. Everything necessary for salvation is complete. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments. So knowing that all things are coming to fruition in his death, where he goes to the Father as the offering for sin, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And think about feet in sandals, sandals laid aside, sandals in the condition of those feet, the dirtiness of those feet. So he lays aside his garment, girds himself with a towel, pours water into a basin, and kneels down, and with the towel, he washes the disciples' feet. Would you say that's a, an act of humiliation? I mean, is he humbling himself? Is he taking on the form of a servant here? Okay. Now, warning. Don't disconnect any notion of Jesus' servitude from the ultimate service that he rendered, which is what? His death upon the cross. So this washing of the disciples' feet is intimately connected with his death upon the cross. I'm going to say something else then. Just like the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit in the water of baptism is not a different forgiveness and gift of salvation than what Jesus earned upon the cross. It's intimately connected. Do you not know, the apostle says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, or we were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Or the Lord's Supper, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you upon the cross. Here it is for you in the sacrament. This is my blood poured out for you on the cross, shed for you, now poured out for you in the sacrament. You see? So I want you to see the tight relationship between what Jesus did for our forgiveness and how that comes to us. So the word and the sacraments become instruments, vehicles, through which the Holy Spirit brings Christ to us. They are the means of the Holy Spirit to bring us to Jesus and Jesus to us. So also here in the washing of the disciples' feet, some Christians just simply think of it as a hallmark card, nice gesture of what a nice fellow he was. Well, Jesus was a nice fellow. He was the nicest fellow that there ever was. And he remains the nicest fellow. But, but the niceness of Jesus happens to do with his sacrificial love for us upon the cross. So does this washing of the disciples' feet. Okay, so, before going on, do you think the main point of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is that their feet were dusty from the roads in Jerusalem and Judea. And so his main concern was foot hygiene. Do you think that's it? 
No. If he's washing the disciples' feet from dirt, what is the real dirt that needs to be washed away? Sin. Yeah. In the third article of the Creed, those five things under the Holy Spirit, what's at the smack dab in the center? The forgiveness of sins. Without the forgiveness of sins, the church is not holy. There is no communion, fellowship of forgiven sinners. And without the forgiveness of sins, there's no resurrection and there's no everlasting life. So this is more than Hallmark card sentimentality in the washing of the disciples' feet. Then he came, verse 6, to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Which ought to be a relief to all of us. In our learning as Christians, there are often times we don't understand everything, Amy, Bob. But you will give it time, okay? Look at Peter's response. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Why does Jesus say that, do you suppose? What is he thinking? Talk to me. What, what is Peter thinking? Lord, you shall never, are you washing my feet? Lord, you shall never wash. And Peter, Jesus says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. You're never going to wash my feet. Didn't, didn't Peter believe in Jesus? Absolutely, he did. Then why would he say, you'll never wash my feet? What's going on inside of him? What is he thinking? He thinks that this washing of, of his feet is beneath Jesus. Who is Jesus? I, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You don't wash my feet. I'm too dirty. I'm too filthy. There's a lot of people in this world who will not come into the church because they believe they are too sinful to come into the church. There is no such thing as a person too sinful to come into the church. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If he saved a murderer like Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul, that he can save you from the dirt of your own sin. But that's what's going on inside of Peter. You'll never wash my feet. It sounds really pious, doesn't it? You're holy, I'm too sinful. But it's actually a works-righteous faith at work. As if Peter has to clean up his own act to make himself worthy. As long as he thinks that, he's in the same camp as that rich young man at the beginning of the Didache. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. There's only one who is good. Do you realize I am that one, the Son of God, the only one who is good? So it sounds really pious on Peter's part, but it's actually the remnants of this works-righteous old Adam sinful nature within. And he is failing to grasp the significance of Christ's love for us, where he joins himself to our dirty flesh and blood to our sinful corruption, to make it his own. 
That's why I say this has much more, this is more, much more than Hallmark card sentimentality. Be nice. See how Jesus was nice and you be nice. Now, I'm not against you being nice, but it's much deeper than that. Middle of verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. You think that's what Peter wanted? To be completely cut off from Jesus? No way. But Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Can you substitute another word for wash then in this case? If I do not blank, you have no part with me. If I do not forgive you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, he immediately gets the point, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I want to be totally washed so that I can be a part of you. That's good. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So Judas wasn't clean, uh, not because of his betrayal, exactly, but because why? He didn't believe. So in unbelief, he rejected Jesus. That's why, so he rejected the foot washing, if you will. He rejected the forgiveness. Okay? But isn't it kind of confusing or odd? He says, verse 10 to Peter, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Are you completely clean, or do you need to have your feet washed? Which is it? Are you completely clean, or do you need to have your feet washed? Which is it? What, Becca? It's both. Now, when is a person bathed and declared completely clean? Becca? In the waters of baptism, we are bathed. And we're completely clean, we're declared righteous. And yet, we still need to have our feet washed, so to speak as we walk through this world and we continue to struggle with the soil of sin, our own and that of others, holy absolution is the foot washing. It is why here at Peace on Maundy Thursday, the service in which we hear this gospel read, we have confession with individual absolution. Because in this gospel, the foot washing is the sign of a greater reality. And the greater reality is what? Well, the bathing is baptism, but then the ongoing foot washing, the greater reality is absolution, right? Okay, so that's why in, that's why I said on Maundy Thursday, we do it New Year's Eve and Ash Wednesday, and Maundy Thursday, three times to highlight that. Confession is corporate, but the absolution is given individually. Okay. 
And of course, we have the opportunity all the time to come to private confession and absolution. We're baptized. It's not that we don't have Christ's forgiveness. We do. We're justified, and yet we struggle with sin. So we need the absolution to strengthen our faith in Jesus' forgiveness over against any kind of notion of relying upon ourselves. Okay. So he who is bathed, which we are in the waters of holy baptism and declared righteous, is completely clean, and yet there is the need to have our feet washed or the need for ongoing absolution. So you see, this is the Spirit's work, but the Spirit, you don't even see his name mentioned here, but this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down <clears throat> again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Sure. <laughs> well, they actually didn't, it didn't all come together for them until after his resurrection and at Pentecost. But he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. He is the teacher. He is the Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example or a pattern that you should do as I have done to you. So let's take verse 14, and just like we did in verse 10, um, excuse me, in verse um, eight, if I do not forgive you, you have no part with me. Do the same thing in this verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have blanked you, forgiven you, you also ought to forgive one another. You see? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the forgiveness of sins. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Speaking of God the Father who sends the Son. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Blessed are you. To live in Christ's forgiveness and to forgive one another is the single greatest source of contentment, peace, and happiness. Those who hold on to the sins of others will never truly be happy or content. Letting go of sin in forgiveness and mercy toward others is the only road to happiness because the only road to happiness is through Christ's forgiveness. Otherwise, we're under judgment, a guilty conscience, a bad conscience, the accusations of the evil one. Okay? We can never find peace in insisting on the pound of flesh from someone else. It only comes through what Christ has done. Here's where the punishment was exacted. For our forgiveness, that we might live in that for one another. Okay, so I want you to skip ahead then to verse 20. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, 
To receive Jesus would be to, to receive or believe or to trust in what he preached, what he taught. So also for the ministry today, he who receives you receives me. So the apostles were received when those to whom they preached believed the word they proclaimed. So also today, you receive me when you receive the word of the gospel of Christ that I preach to you. And when you receive me in that preaching, that faithful preaching, you receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you receive him who sent Jesus, namely God the Father. And this receiving is all the Spirit's work because receiving is the passive verb of faith, to trust, to receive. Okay? And then skip ahead to verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. What is he talking about? Now he is glorified. What event is about to take place? The cross. See, the crucifixion. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? That's glory? Yep, that's God's glory. God's glory is not chiefly in his almighty power, which is pretty magnanimously fantastic. God's greatest glory is the crucifixion, because there you see the eternal, self-giving, sacrificial love of God. That's God's glory. Okay? So now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Don't ever accuse God of not loving you, because God gave his only Son to rescue you from hell by bearing all your sins, and not yours only, but the sins of the whole world. To bear all of your misery, all of your sickness. So there is no hardship, there's no broken relationship, there is no nastiness that has ever come into your life that Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, has not borne in love for you to rescue you from it. I don't know why all of the things happen and that are permitted to happen in your life, but I know this, that the love of God is proclaimed in that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He took up our infirmities, and with his stripes we're healed. If God is glorified in him, verse 32, God will glorify himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, verse 34 and 35 speak of love. But how is the love distributed? How is the love received? We can do the same thing here as we did with verse 14 and then with verse 8, where we replace words. A new commandment I give to you, that you blank one another. 
forgive one another as I have forgiven you, that you also forgive one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have forgiveness for one another. This is how love is manifest in the forgiveness of sins. This is how love is manifest in the forgiveness of sins. The love of Jesus, how did he love? He loved by dying, by loving to the end, to the completion of our salvation in the shedding of his blood, resulting in forgiveness. Okay? So it, it defines, you know, what does love mean? Okay? Love means forgiveness that is anchored in the sacrifice of Christ for us. Cherie? Sure, yeah. The, the 1 Corinthians 13 passage she's asking, asking about. The love there. Yeah, and, and the word, you know, the old King James was charity. Okay? And, and charity is undeserved love, which is also what forgiveness is. Uh, I believe it was a mother of a child that one child died, another severely injured in the Waukesha Christmas parade who told the police officer something about having to forgive the person who did this. Now, civil punishments and everything are totally in order. That's necessary, absolutely necessary. But in terms of if a person lost a loved one in that parade, bitterness and hate will eat them up, will kill them as well. Okay? And... Um, which reminds a number of years ago, I called into uh, talk radio. Charlie Sykes was still in Milwaukee on WTMJ, and he could not understand, he could not fathom this dying husband and father who had been shot someplace up, I don't know, it was by in Wausau or someplace up there in the in the woods. Do you remember the? I think it was in Menasha. Menasha. Yeah, okay. And, and then as he is dying, his wife comes to him and he tells his wife, you have to forgive the shooter. And Charlie Sykes could not understand this and thought it was absolutely ridiculous. That was my first marriage. That was her husband? See, only, only Christianity knows this forgiveness. doesn't mean it's easy. But Charlie Sykes could not fathom it because he could not fathom the cross because that's what the cross is. And that's what Jesus prays from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Okay. So a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And how do we love us? By dying for our sins. Okay. So the love is anchored in a physical reality of his crucifixion and death that wins forgiveness. Okay. I have to go to chapter 14. Other questions? A couple of highlights from chapter 14. Talk about this going. 
uh, verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when Jesus says no one comes to the Father, into the Father's presence, except through him, Jesus Christ, he's speaking again about his death. The entrance into the presence of God is through the death of Christ. Because apart from the death of Christ, the atoning sacrifice for sin, sin separates us from God. What was it in the, in the Old Testament temple that signified the sin that separates us from God, that prevents us from having fellowship with God? What was it in the temple appointments that signified that? The curtain, yes. There was the holy place where the priest would come daily at the altar of incense, and then there was a curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, which signified the inner presence of God, heaven itself, was the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and the cherubim looked down upon it. And that mercy seat, or the seat of mercy, was the place where the blood was poured. I talked about that in the Passion, you know. So this going, remember in chapter 13 he said, where I am going to the disciples, you cannot come. What do you mean? But then later on, you will come. I don't understand. Well, who is the only person in the Old Testament time that could go into the Holy of Holies behind the veil of the temple? Who is the only one who could do that? The high priest. The only authorized one was the high priest. And he went into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain and upon the mercy seat he sprinkled the blood and the water in payment, atonement for sin. And then he came out from behind the curtain and sprinkled the congregation with the hyssop, with the blood and water. The hyssop was the instrument that he sprinkled them with for the forgiveness of their sins. So when Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot come, because only he is the priest who can go into the presence of God himself and offer the atoning sacrifice, which is not the blood of lambs and sheep and goats and oxen, but his own blood, which he offers upon the mercy seat of heaven itself. Only then can we go where he has gone. Sounds like Star Trek, where no man has gone before. You know, well, only we can go where he has gone after he alone has gone to make atonement for sin. His going to the Father is in his death, where he sheds his blood as the sacrifice for sin and where he officiates as the high priest. And what happened on the day of Jesus' crucifixion to signify that the sin was taken away and communion with God was restored. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay? So reconciliation, 
full access to God. So we have access to God now through the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus. So when we come here to the altar of the Lord, it is through the blood of Jesus. And visually, to be to look to the crucifix or to look for the Agnus Dei on the altar is the proper visual reminder of what the faith in the heart is seeing, namely Christ the Lamb of God, Christ the High Priest, Christ the Sacrifice, Christ the one who has gone to the Father for us and has opened eternal communion with God and with one another through the blood of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, through my blood shed for you. Uh, skip ahead to verse um, 12. Most assuredly I say to you, and he's talking to the 12, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now, in chapter 13, what work was he talking about? Unless I, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Do you see what I am doing? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So what work was he doing? If you um, love one another as I have loved you, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what was he doing? He was forgiving. So these works... This is what bamboozles so many people. You're looking for some other work. Can there be any greater work than the work of forgiving sin? There can't. If sin separates people from God, and if sin separates people from one another, there can be no greater work than the forgiveness of sins which reconciles us to God and which restores relationships with one another. And it's greater not in quality, but in number. As from the time of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and the love of God has spread the world over. Okay? And the power, when, when uh, Romans 1 says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of forgiveness. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Can there be any greater work than the forgiving of sin? And that great work of Jesus, the forgiving of sin, is what he shares with his church. It's why at the center of the third article, the Spirit's work is the forgiveness of sins. Okay? If you love me, now if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's verse... Um, I guess I didn't read verse 13 either for you. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, that I will, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in me, in the Son. So what do we ask for? It's bound up with this ministry of forgiveness. As we, as we pray to the Lord for forgiveness, as we pray for his grace and compassion and mercy to let go of the sins of others, that his forgiveness would live in us and we would abide in that forgiveness. 
If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. So now finally, after all this time tonight, in looking at these words of Jesus, finally he names the spirit. And the first thing he calls the spirit in verse 16 is helper. There, it's a, the word in Greek is parakletos, which means, you could translate it helper, counselor, in terms of consoling, and also comforter. So to comfort, to console, to help, to support through the grace of God, the forgiveness that he may abide with you forever. So I will pray the Father, and the Father will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him, the Holy Spirit, nor knows him, because the world doesn't believe, but you know him, why? Because he dwells with you and will be in you which he is through faith by the word. Now, I have something to say about verse 15 and 18 before going on. Verse 15, he said to the apostles, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do you remember in chapter 13, verse 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another that you forgive one another. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments or you will forgive one another. We'll talk about this uh, more in the, in the two lessons that follow, but the commandments here that Jesus is speaking of are not actually the Ten Commandments. Not that he doesn't want us to keep the Ten Commandments. The commandments here are like, love one another, forgive as I have forgiven you. Those commandments that flow from the gospel. A commandment is a mandate. So there are other mandates that Jesus gave to his disciples. Can anyone name one? We had one here, forgive as I have forgiven you. Can you name another? A mandate. Baptism. Go into all the world, okay, and baptize, preach the gospel to every creature, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, preach the gospel to every creature. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. I give you the keys of the kingdom. If you forgive, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Or how about this? You'll hear in a moment tonight. Do this in remembrance of me. Those are all mandates. Those are all commands. So if you love me, you will do these things. And these are the apostles, the apostolic ministers. So if you love me, you're going to preach the gospel. If you love me, you're going to forgive sins. If you love me, you're going to baptize the nations. If you love me, you're going to distribute the Lord's Supper. If you love me, you're going to love your people to the end, even to the point of laying down your life so that they might live, because that's what Jesus did. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
keep is believe and trust and the obedience that comes from such faith. Okay? So here again, we come full circle to where I began tonight with the introduction about um, the, how is the Holy Spirit made visible through the church's ministry of love in the apostolic preaching, teaching, catechesis. If you love me, you will teach the gospel more than five minutes on a Saturday morning, and now you're a member of the church. If you love me, you will actually dare to preach the whole counsel of God's word that centers in Christ Jesus. Do you follow? If you love me, you'll forgive the sins of you. How many times shall I forgive, Peter asked Jesus? Up to seven times? I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven, which doesn't mean get out the calculator till you hit 490 but there is no limit, okay? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse, and who is the one at work? The helper, who is consoling, comforting, okay? The spirit of truth. Oh, I misspoke. Rather than saying I lied, I had one thing to say about uh, verse 13 and then 18, also about verse 17. The, spirit, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth, so the word truth there has to do with, what's that? Christ, you can say yes. The word, the word. Kevin, you say that? Yeah, because it, the, the, the pew is not truth. It's, it's an inanimate object. Truth is known by words. You know, when you give testimony, when you bear witness, you do so with words. So that's what I wanted you to see. Truth has to do with words. Okay? Remember what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate. And it's now we're in John 14. When we were in the Passion, we were in John 19, 18 and 19. What is truth? Pilate said to Jesus. Jesus had said to him, For this cause I was born to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth. Here's my voice. So the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. It is a way to underscore that the spirit works through the word, through the truth of the gospel to testify to Jesus. Okay, good. And then finally, 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What is an orphan? I'll help you. A child who, what? No, there's no such thing as a child who has no parents. A child whose parents have died. My mother was an orphan and went into the orphanage because her mother died. That's very important to understand what Jesus is saying. This is the night he's just about to leave and he's going to be arrested. In less than 24 hours, his body will be in the grave. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you is a promise of what? Resurrection. That's right. Isn't that cool? Because they think when Jesus dies... Their whole world is turned upside down. They thought that the worst thing had just happened. Not only that, but they were plagued with doubts 
perhaps everything that they believed was not the truth, but a lie. So their world is turned completely upside down when Jesus dies. And they feel like orphans who have been abandoned by their spiritual father in his death. And they're alone. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And in the upper room, he came to them. And wonder of wonders, what was the first word out of Jesus' mouth in the upper room? Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. And it all came together. It's the truth. The word of truth that they had believed and they were shattered in their faith by what they saw in his crucifixion was now confirmed in his resurrection. The concrete forgiveness of sin stood before them in Jesus' bodily resurrection and that concrete forgiveness was proclaimed to them. Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. I will not leave you orphans. And then finally... Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's returning to the theme of above. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I love this verse because the plural pronouns, we will come to him and make our home with him, we refers to the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who comes to us and makes his home with us. He tabernacles with us. To, if anyone loves me, that's what faith is. It is to love Jesus. It is to keep his word, to cling to it. Uh, verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So this encapsulates the main goal of the Didache Catechesis, is that you come to love Jesus ever more deeply, and out of love for him that you keep, you hold fast to his words, because they are life and salvation. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, now we get explicit reference to the Holy Spirit again. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now this promise first applies to the apostles who listened to Jesus preach. He promises that the Holy Spirit will preserve his words in them and bring to their remembrance everything that Jesus said. That's why we have the scriptures. They're inspired by the Spirit who brought to their remembrance. And it's a good thing he made that promise to them because this is late on Thursday night. They've had a long Passover meal with lots of wine. And now they're listening. They were not as awake as you are tonight, probably. And he taught them. And then they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then they can't even stay awake. One hour, watch and pray. 
lest they enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So it's a good thing he made this promise to them. The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. But the second reference is, it's one of the reasons why we learn God's word by heart. It's why we memorize scripture. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's why we learn the scriptures, the word of Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance the things that the Spirit has taught us through the word that we have received in the heart. And so you have the concluding verse for tonight centers on forgiveness. Again, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. All right, more on the Holy Spirit next week. We prepare for the sacrament. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we offer before you our common supplications for the well-being of your holy Christian church throughout the world. So guide and govern her by your Holy Spirit, that all who profess themselves Christians may be led into the way of truth and hold the faith in unity of spirit, in the bond of peace, and in righteousness of life. Send down upon all ministers of the gospel and upon the congregations committed to their care the healthful spirit of your grace, that they may please you in all things. Behold in mercy all who are in authority over us. Supply them with your blessing that they may be inclined to your will and walk according to your commandments. We humbly ask your abiding presence in every situation of life that you would make known your ways among us. Preserve those who travel. Satisfy the desires and needs of your creatures. And help those who call upon you in any need, that they may have patience in the midst of suffering, and according to your will, be released from their afflictions. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places Give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose way John the Baptist prepared, proclaiming him the promised Messiah, the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and calling sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed when he comes again in glory. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation, for you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In these last days you poured out your Holy Spirit on your church that your sons and daughters might proclaim the wonders of your salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon your gathered people, that faithfully eating and drinking the body and blood of your Son, 
we may go forth to proclaim his salvation to the ends of the earth. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Amen. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, grant us thy peace.
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let us pray. O God the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.